Well, hello, welcome to this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder. Joining me here in the Oklahoman studios, as always, Dale Dunwalt from the state capitol, Justin Wingarder from the federal beat. A busy week for both of these guys. In today's episode, we're going to discuss uh, the passage of state question 788. That's old news, but what we're still waiting to find out is what the medical marijuana issue is going to look like in Oklahoma. Lawmakers calling for a special session before the election, but now not so much. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, we're going to start with the big political news of the week, both here in Oklahoma and across the nation, and as is the resignation of EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. And Justin, this was like, Pruitt as EPA Administrator under President Trump made so much sense from the very beginning. I mean, this was a guy, I mean, if you were a, a supporter of Trump's policies, um, it was just a natural selection for Trump to make. Pruitt, former Attorney General of Oklahoma, spent his career fighting the EPA. Now you have a president who wants to deregulate everything, roll back environmental regulations, and here you have the, the guy that has been trying to do that. And by all accounts, he's been somewhat successful at his job, right? Sure. I mean, policy-wise, it still makes sense. He's still the right fit for EPA administrator under Trump. I mean, if, if you're following Trump's agenda. So yeah, I mean, obviously it was not the policies. That hurt him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, and now the you know the new guys coming in and they're going to continue to to run the Pruitt playbook, so to speak. Sure. It wasn't his job performance that brought him down. It was like everything else. And we don't really have you know I marked up some things in, in your story today, and I don't even have we don't have time to go through like all of the scandals uh, that were were pegged on on Pruitt. I mean, I mean they range from you know I just you know cushy relationships with lobbyists, trying to, you know, deals on homes, both here in Oklahoma City and a condo in D.C., trying to get a job for his wife, having his staff members, you know, try to hunt down a job for his wife, tickets right. to ball games. <laughs> I mean, the list goes on. I mean, it became very easy for Trump critics to say, hey, Mr. President, you want to drain the swamp. Um, it starts with Pruitt. And, and I guess the pressure was too much. Uh, Pruitt resigns. Yeah. I, I mean, it was a day, yesterday was a day that we've been waiting for and not in, you know, I mean, we've been anticipating, let me say, for probably two months. I mean, I think every reporter in the state probably had a story ready to go that said he resigned because it looked that way for months. And anyone who follows politics and follows political scandals knew this was going to get the best of them. It was just a matter of when. And it was, frankly, surprising that it took this long. Yeah, and a lot of Republican lawmakers continue to defend him, um, continue to support the work he was doing at the EPA. Right. Uh, but even his his biggest supporters still had some issues with how he's conducting himself. I mean, even earlier this week, Senator Inhofe, who's been a big supporter of Pruitt, um, you know, you wrote about this last week, but this week he he reaffirmed that hey, I looked at some of the specific allegations, I don't buy them, but you know, probably hasn't used the best judgment in the past, and we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, and the president has said some things on those lines as well. So you, you can see the support for him crumbling. Uh, the last month or so, you've seen some of his um, staff members, the ones who went from Oklahoma to Washington with him, are kind of the you know diehard believers, the, the true believers in the Pruitt uh, way of doing things. Even they were starting to peel off, take other jobs, come back to Oklahoma, things like that. So you, the signs were just all there. Um, I think we all saw this coming for probably a, a month or two, 
and, and eventually it happened uh, yesterday. Yeah, and this, I mean, you look back at, at Pruitt's uh, political career, and we'll talk about whether or not it's over or not, but um, there's some speculation that it may not be. But uh, even during Attorney General, I mean, this was a guy, I mean, Dale, you probably you know, recall this. I mean, this was a guy that liked to enlarge his footprint. Um, the AG's budget uh, increased under him. He grew the office. I mean, this was, you know, went to, e went to the EPA offices, you know, put in a or soundproof phone booth, uh, first class. I mean, this was a guy that kind of, you know, uh, I don't know the right way to say it, but, uh, you know, without being diplomatic, but, uh, you know, liked nice things around him, liked to enlarge his space, and, and it, it seems like it maybe kind of finally caught up to him in D.C. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it, for, for anyone who knew uh, Scott Pruitt uh, as Attorney General of Oklahoma, uh, the way he operated as EPA uh, administrator probably wasn't much of a surprise. Uh, I think certainly some of the things that have come out um, were uh, a surprise. Uh, for example, using government employees for personal business, mm -hmm. um, asking his staff to, uh, to find lotion and to, to get a hold of a mattress, and especially to find his his wife a job, um, you know those are those are things that uh, you're asking government employees to do on the taxpayer's uh, dime, uh, essentially. And uh, and I think that's one of the reasons that uh, you know he's going to be no longer administrator. Yeah. Well, we don't necessarily know the answer to this yet, but I mean, this was technically Pruitt's decision to resign. But was this him maybe reading the writing on the wall? I mean, do you feel like there probably was some pressure from the White House? There have been rumors that there had been maybe yeah. um, from officials in the White House saying, hey, you know, probably best for you to exit before we have to show you the door ourselves. No doubt in my mind. I, I, resignations are rarely just that cut and dry in Washington, especially when they're this high up cabinet level resignations. I, I think he's more or less pushed out or was told that you will be fired or you resign. And he takes a, a much more diplomatic uh, exit, which allows him to preserve his political career. I, I would argue, and I don't know if we want to get to this yet, but I would argue that we have not seen the last of Scott Pruitt in the political arena. And because he resigned yesterday with a compliment from the president, you know, in his tweet and in a statement from the White House, very complimentary of, the, uh, of Pruitt, I think he allows himself to remain in politics if he wants to. And my guess, an ambitious guy like Scott Pruitt does. Yeah. And so maybe exiting at this point is a chance to save that opportunity for later. I mean, it's, it's different to resign and claim I was attacked, I was attacked by the liberal media um, and get a blessing from the president on your way out the door versus, you know, waiting a few more months and then, you know, either being fired or worse. I mean, if there's some kind of, you know, a congressional investigation that finds some, you know, proof of wrongdoing. I mean, this is a chance maybe, this was his chance to pull the ejector cord um, and still have a political career, which a lot of people suspect may be what, running for Senator Inhofe's seat in a couple of years if he chooses not to run? Yeah, I mean, that's the seat that's been talked about. I mean, first of all, Inhofe says that he's, so far, is still going to run. I mean, he hasn't made any kind of official announcement yet, but he also hasn't indicated he's retiring. So. That is a whole other issue, first of all. I mean, it's not a given that Jim Inhofe is leaving in 2020 or, you know, in January of 2021 because he may very well give it another go. But that obviously is a seat people have talked about. There was some talk about the, the gubernatorial race this year, which I thought that was kind of silly to even speculate about. And, of course, you know, it turned out to not be true at all. So we'll see about that Senate seat in 2020. But I think he had to have resigned in order to preserve that political opportunity. If he is fired by a Republican president and tries to run in a Republican state, 
it's really going to nag at him a lot more than if he resigns. Here he just says, you know, I went to Washington, we deregulated, we did all these things that Oklahomans love. The liberal press and the liberal environmentalists got to me. They, you know, I got tired of putting up with them, and so I left. I just handed it off to Andy Wheeler, my deputy, who's going to continue that same thing. We all did what, you know, the president wanted. We all had the support of the president, who uh, is still fairly popular here in Oklahoma, and I think that's his message. That, you know, I forget this, this stuff. It was just the liberal media pushing me out. It was liberal environmentalists who hated me from day one, and that, that I think that's his message. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a little bit of truth. I mean, he from day one. I mean, he was despised by environmental groups. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, this was a big reversal for the EPA, and that was kind of the point. I mean, they put someone in um, that was going to shake things up and, right. and shake things up that he did. Um, you know, if Pruitt comes back, though, are Oklahomans gonna gonna support him? Do you think? I think so. I, th- I think he still has a message that resonates with uh, with Oklahoma voters uh, and. It's very evident that you know Oklahomans support President Trump, and the two align very closely politically, both in their policies and their message. Yeah, uh, I think that's very important. Well, what I am wondering about, what I'm curious about, is that uh, Scott Pruitt has a history of being in charge mm-hmm. uh, at the Attorney General's office and at the EPA. If he were to run for senator, he wouldn't be in charge of really anything One except for his own office. Yep. Uh, so is is Senate something that he really wants? It would give him a uh, a pedestal uh, to espouse his views, uh, but would it would it give him any ability to make any changes? I mean, he's not going to be a uh, committee chairman mm-hmm. right away. Um, he'd be lucky to, to to be committee vice chair. Uh, um, but is is Senate something that you can see him uh, realistically wanting? That's a big question. You're right. I mean, that's a very different. Being in a legislature is very different than being an executive in any way. You don't have that sort of command, and, and you don't have as many people reporting to you that he's accustomed to having. You're right. That's a it's a big question. I I think so because I think he wants to remain in politics, and I I mean unless you wait for governor in 2024, which is a long break in politics, you usually don't want to be out of office for that long. I don't know. I that's a big question, and of course, if a Republican wins the gubernatorial seat, uh, 2022, excuse me, yeah. uh, then you'd, you'd probably run again 20, then too. 20, so yeah. yeah. Uh, boy, I just, I think he has to, I think he's going to want to run for something. And I think that's going to most likely be a, a Senate seat or a legislative seat of some sort, either federal or state. Yeah, and you wonder how eager he is to go back to D.C., but once again, I mean, this may be the only path that he has to, to elected office right here. And, there, and you know, you say he's used to being in charge, and, you know, now, you know, not only but he's not going to be in charge for a while now. I mean, now he's going to be kind of out of the spotlight, and he's not going to be an elected official or a government official for the first time in, in a long time. It'll be interesting to see how he kind of embraces that. You'd have to think that there are a lot of positions that he could probably land on. I mean, we've talked about this before, just you know, the variety of you know different organizations and trades. I mean, he's definitely been a friend uh, to oil and gas. We know some of the criticism that he received from environmentalists. So, um, you know, I don't think he worried he's going to land on his feet. But right, that path back to political to a political career is pretty narrow and, and, and not guaranteed. And Dale, you said that you feel like Oklahomans would, would support him. 
I mean, once again, when you look back at his policies and the things that he did, I mean, this was something that um, a lot of Oklahomans support, or at least a majority of, of really conservative voters support. And I remember right after the election going to places like Elk City, where one of the things that made them, you know, residents of Elk City, the biggest supporters of Trump, that he had already announced that, that Pruitt was going to be his right. EPA administrator. And for them, they saw that as, um, you know, not just having an ally in the EPA, but somebody who was going to actually... Uh, you know, open the faucet, so to speak, for, for their business. So I don't think, politically speaking, that he comes back to a state where conservative voters that are at odds with him. The question is, are they going to be turned off by a lot of these scandals? But as you said, they still continue, most voters continue to support President Trump, who's, who's not immune to scandal himself. Well, the, the line is that, even in his resignation letter, is that he was persecuted by media, mm -hmm. that there was never-ending stories um, uh, about all these. He ha I don't think he said one way or the other whether uh, in any of the allegations are true. I don't know, maybe uh, now, now yeah. Uh, so uh, he, he still has that to fall back on. Uh, anytime, if, if he's in a town hall and he's talking to voters, someone may stand up and say, well, what about this? And he'll say, that's just the liberal media, mm -hmm. right? Um, but th these are, you know, well-researched stories that um, um, no one has been able to disprove yet. So, um, uh, do voters care about that? Do, do voters care about what's in the New York Times? You know, what what Maggie Haberman is reporting, or whoever is covering the the Pruitt beat on the national level? Um, uh, do they actually care about that, or or do they naturally put that aside? Uh, because it's been the mantra of the Trump administration mm -hmm. since he first decided he was going to run for office. Yeah, well, and you make a good point because I remember, I think this was, it was last year, uh, there was a, a big story in the New York Times, um, you know, a front page story, a spread inside about Pruitt and his close relationship with, with Devon Energy. Yeah. And I remember it was interesting to me to see the response from people. Of course, a lot of people saw, well, this proves that he's in bed with oil and gas and, and, and you know, he can't be trusted to run the EPA. There were a lot of people in Oklahoma who read that and say, that's exactly why we want him there. We want someone in there who is a supporter of the industries that are most important to us. And so not to play, you know, armchair psychiatrist too much, but, you know, I almost wonder if one of the, the first criticism that Pruitt really had going to D.C. was that he was too close to the energy sector. That, you know, there were stories that he had, you know, they, they sent him a letter, he put his name on it and sent it out, that kind of thing. Well, in his mind, I don't think he saw a problem with that. And for a lot of voters, they didn't see a problem with that. They wanted an attorney general that was supportive of business and supportive of the energy sector. When he went to D.C. to be in charge of the EPA, they wanted someone who had that close relationship with, with energy companies. In fact, many employees of energy companies said, we don't feel like we've had a seat at the table under the Obama administration. So I wonder if Pruitt going in is saying, hey, these scandals, this is just the national media having a negative opinion about something that actually my supporters back home appreciate. Now, it gets a little different when you start talking about some of the other scandals that come, come out, and I wonder if maybe he just continued to feel, you know, kind of play that persecuted card. And obviously he did, as you said, with his letter, his resignation letter. Yeah, his closeness to energy is not what cost him his no. job. Uh, and what did cost him his job is a harder sell your average Oklahoma voter, especially some of the spending. Some of the spending that looks frivolous or over the top by some people's standards plays really well in an ad. Say you're, you're in a GOP runoff with Scott Pruitt and those ads are going to show he spent, you know, $1,200 on a dozen pens or ink pens or whatever it was. And I mean, just it'll just be a running tally of those things. Because you go to your average Oklahoma farmer, rancher, someone living in the city even, and that sort of spending doesn't make a lot of sense. You, those of us who 
you know, balance a checkbook, don't look at that and say that's that seems over the top. That seems unusual. Why did he do that? And it makes a, that stuff I think is going to come up a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and it's harder for Pruitt to defend that stuff. He will always fall back on policy because a majority of Oklahomans agree with them on policy. But that other stuff, some of that frivolous spending and some of the use of um, alleged use, at least by of his employees for personal gain is a harder sell with Oklahoma voters. I yeah. Think. And you talk about running for statewide office and whether that's a Senate or something else, who knows? Um, and a lot can change over the next few years, obviously. But, you know, I think about the GOP primary for governor this year that we just got done with, the, or had the primary vote a couple weeks ago. Uh, of the big three candidates, who's the one that Pruitt reminds you of the most? And I don't, you know, and, and he probably wouldn't like the comparison. I don't mean it because of the scandals, but Todd Lamb. I mean, a, a government insider, and Todd Lamb, the lieutenant governor, uh, Scott Pruitt was AG. I mean, he was the insider, and, and the 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 message from primary night was that Oklahomans wanted an outsider. They voted for uh, former Oklahoma City Mayor Mick Cornett, and Republicans supported uh, Kevin Stitt, uh, an outsider businessman from Tulsa. And so, you know, I don't know that that doesn't really bode well necessarily. Uh, I'm not, you know, like I said, a lot can change over the next few years, and and who knows what happens. But you know, I think about that primary, and I think you know. The, the odd man out was the business insider, the guy that was in charge of, you know, had a statewide office. And, and Pruitt seems to be more uh, similar when you look at the back of his baseball card to someone like Todd Lamb than Kevin Stitt. Yeah, but he's going to run like Stitt. And he's going to run like an outsider. And he's going to claim that he was so much of an outsider mm -hmm. that he got to Washington and they wouldn't put up with him. And he had to come back home where he loves it here in Oklahoma because in Washington he just couldn't do it. He couldn't put up with the swamp. And yeah. I, I think that's the way he's going to frame that. Hey, you should run some campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pat, Pat McFerrin, hire me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's going to be interesting to watch. Like you said, I don't think we've seen the last of Pruitt. Um, you know, I think it's interesting watching, uh, reading a lot of these stories on the national scene. It's almost like, well, goodbye, Mr. Pruitt. This is, this is the end of him. But, uh, um, you know, it'll be interesting to watch what his career looks like here in Oklahoma going forward. The one reason he wouldn't run, I think, and talking with people who know him the last month or so, would be his family. His family has increasingly made, been in the headlines. Uh, his wife, as Dale mentioned, as we've mentioned with some of the controversies involving her, and even his daughter and her ability to get into UVA, University of Virginia, and there was some controversy there too. He really hated that. And talking with his aides, it drove him crazy when his family was in the headlines, like most politicians. And most politicians mm -hmm. know that they have a thick skin and they have to have a thick skin because people are going to come after them. They hate when people come after, perceived to have come after their family. He, I could see him not running to keep them out of the headlines because I know it's driven him crazy the last month or so as members of his family have been in the newspapers and on cable news. So that would be the one thing I would say could deter him uh, from running. Uh, if he doesn't run, I could see it being for that reason. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great point. And, and you know, all, be, all because he had a plan to maybe seek elected office again doesn't mean, you know, things don't go according to plan. And, and it doesn't seem like they're going according to plan for Pruitt right now. And, and like I said, I don't think he's going to have trouble landing on his feet if he's looking for, for a good job. I mean, hey, a former EPA administrator who probably still has pretty close ties with the administration and EPA leadership. I mean, if you're, a, you know, an energy sector organization or company, I mean, he may be someone you want to outright hire or hire as a consultant. Mm -hmm. uh, once again, I mean, it's important to note the EPA is not changing. I mean, right now, I mean, if you're an environmentalist, you probably celebrated, um, you know, last night, but you're not About waking up. Minutes. Yeah, but you're not waking up this morning feeling a lot more comfortable no. uh, uh, about things. And, and one other thing to consider, it's, it's kind of 
changing direction a little bit, but you've got Scott Pruitt coming back home to Oklahoma. Uh, you have Todd Lamb now without a job. Say Drew Edmondson wins this gubernatorial race in November, and we have four years of Drew Edmondson. Uh, who's the front runner for the Republican nomination if no one uh, uh, steps up from the legislature? Mm. You know, you've got two political powerhouses yeah. uh, who have a lot of experience running an office, mm. Pruitt and Lamb. Uh, are they going to try to slug it out in four years? Mm. You know, I hate to be talking about that so soon, yeah. especially when we haven't even elected ne the next <laughs> governor. Well, right. and obviously we know that an Edmondson election victory it w would go against the odds. I mean, it would, but I don't, I, and we'll talk more about November, obviously, as we get closer. I, I think this may be a closer race than people think, so I don't think it's it's laughable to, to theorize what an Edmondson governor would look like. But I, when you were saying this scenario, in my mind, I'm thinking, if you're an Oklahoma Democrat, would you take Edmondson now? knowing that he may face Pruitt in four years, and Pruitt could be, because if, if a Republican wins in November, I mean, Pruitt's, there's no chance that Pruitt, well, I say no chance, but it becomes more unlikely that Pruitt ever runs for governor and becomes governor, because then he would have essentially have to wait eight more years, you know, and maybe he's willing to do that. Um, but four years, you know, that, that's not as long. Start so, your own foundation and... Yeah, so would you, so if you're a Democrat in Oklahoma, would you risk uh, Pruitt, I mean, if you, I mean, if you're someone who despised Pruitt, would you, would you risk a... That's too, that's too academic or, of a question. I, I, <laughs> for four I, years I, of a Democrat I, I, right I, don't, I don't think that anyone would vote for Stitt or Cornette over Edmondson just to avoid no, a No, I don't think so either. I yeah. don't think so either. But I think, but you, you bring a good point that if, if this is an election that Edmondson wins, um, that you have two political, I mean, it's something you powerhouses. Get, something you and I say powerhouses because these are two guys that you expect can probably still raise a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, Lamb and Pruitt. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the biggest donors in the state are big fans. The, the uh, only thing the Lamb has to do is go back to his his uh, his supporters, his donors, and say, "Look at the political situation that we were in. Mm -hmm. That's why I lost. It wasn't because you didn't give me enough money. It's because uh, voters wanted something different. They're, the voters were wonky that year, or something mm -hmm. like that. And, and that's how he gets back into it." Yeah, well, it's definitely kind of a different election year. Um, it's still still shaping out. So obviously, we'll continue to follow. Uh, the going-ons of Mr. Pruitt as he returns from Washington to see what's next for him. Um, but speaking of election year, Oklahomans, as we've talked about, passed medical marijuana, state question 788. It's happening before the election. Lawmakers, the governor, uh, a lot of Republican lawmakers are saying, you know, this, this uh, state question is too loosely worded. There's going to be all this confusion. Uh, you know, college students will be growing marijuana in their dorm rooms. I mean, we're going to have to have a special session if this passes to try to clear up some of this stuff. It passes and the governor says, never mind, I don't think we need a special session. Now it is some of the medical marijuana advocates who yeah. are asking for a special session. The medical marijuana industry. Now I want to make a distinction here between the advocates and the industry because the advocates are the, one who, the ones who put in the initial work, um, who wrote the law, put it on the ballot, you know, got the signatures and everything. Um, and it was only uh, the last year or so maybe that the industry um, or the prospective industry here in Oklahoma uh, came in and, and put money behind the election. Um, and so you have a law that was written by advocates and implementation um, and regulation supported by the industry. Uh, and, and that's where you're seeing this conflict because the industry feels like the law that the advocates wrote and got onto the ballot uh, isn't enough, that there isn't much there. Uh, it's being called like a skeleton of a law. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you don't want too much in the law because you ha it's, it's easier to change regulations. They can drill down more. You don't want the statute book filled up with uh, descriptions of medical testing. 
but uh, the, the the cannabis industry wants the legislature to come back into special session because they say that nothing in state question 788 um, uh, can give the Oklahoma Health Department, who's writing the rules, uh -huh. the ability to do some of the things they're trying to do with these emergency rules. And they say, we need actual state law, state statute, in order for the Health Department to be able to do its job to regulate this industry. Um, and that, that's really where we are today. Um, still, the governor and the legislature say that they don't want to come back into special session. If anything, they, they just kind of want to wait and see how it shapes out and try to address any issues in February. Um, but let the, this industry is saying we won't even have a, a, an, a functional mm -hmm. medical marijuana industry in Oklahoma unless you do this now so that we can get started. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think it was your story today where Governor Fallon had said, um, you know, calling a special session, I mean, we're not going to be able to get anything done quickly, yeah. um, which is just kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, we've kind of become uh, pros at special sessions as of late, yeah. not necessarily getting a lot of things done during those special sessions. Yeah. Uh, but Fallon's saying, hey, I mean, if you're expecting me to call the legislature together uh, and move quickly to get a lot of laws passed, uh, it ain't, it's ain't not realistic. Yeah. 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 And whether it's realistic or not, you know, the, the, the industry, says it's something that needs to happen because um, their, their concern is that some of the rules being written by the health department and that are going to be considered next week um, could be subject to litigation. And once you sort of pop a hole in that balloon, mm -hmm. uh, it's possible that, that everything gets put on hold. Uh, if, if the health department can't effectively regulate the industry, there's not going to be any, anything that they can do. Uh, and secondly, the industry says that the health department isn't going to have the infrastructure in place to process all the applications from uh, from uh, patients and from uh, retailers, from producers, distributors. Uh, there just isn't the infrastructure in place, and it's going to it's going to really backlog the system uh, as they go forward. You still get the. Uh the idea that for many lawmakers, a special session right before elections is not something that they want. I mean, do you feel like that's, that's yeah? I think uh, yeah, I think that's completely understandable. And I was talking to Mark Lawson. Uh, he's right now he's facing a runoff in the Tulsa area. Uh, he uh, is a state representative in his first term, um, and uh, more voters voted for somebody else than him. So he's got to mm -hmm. go into a runoff now. Uh, he told me that he came in right after state question 780 and 781 were adopted into law. That's the big criminal justice mm -hmm. reform. And a lot of things that he heard from voters was that don't go up there and fiddle with this law. You know, the voter, we, we passed it, so um, it, if you go up there and try to tinker with it, we're going to be mad, right? That's, that, that's a lot of the voter um, communication that they've gotten. Um, and he's still leery about doing anything with state question 788 because he doesn't want that either. He mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, I, and I think his perception is common among lawmakers is that the, the voters uh, approve this. Most of the people in my district approve this. They want this law. And so you're asking me to just a couple of weeks after it's passed into law uh, start uh, considering amendments to it? Mm -hmm. No way. You know, and uh, it's it's political um, it's political dodgy waters, so yeah. to speak. 
Yeah, well, I, I think there's and there's also a likelihood, we talked about this last week, that there are going to be members of the legislature who would want to embrace making a lot of changes. And yeah. it becomes this infighting between, you know, the Republican majority, those who are saying, hey, let's just keep it kind of similar to how uh, voters passed it, others that want to really tighten in the regulation because that may play well back in their home district. I mean, it just becomes a very, uh, we talk, you know, talked about last week, you go into a special session, you just don't know how it's going to end. Exactly. And you don't want, you want things to be predictable right now, especially if you're you're facing a, a, a contested uh, election this year. And with five, uh, five legislators, uh, who are lame ducks because they lost their election, 10 more who are still fighting for their seats, and uh, a collection of uh, two, uh, more than two dozen Democrats who like to be contrarian about these kinds of yeah. things. How do you get to 51? Yeah. That's a wild roller coaster. There's no predicting right now. And that I'm sure that is a majority view from legislators and probably from the whole state that you don't want the legislature coming in and dramatically tinkering with a law that majority of people pretty overwhelmingly just voted for. Mm -hmm. I did run into somebody the other day, uh, a guy who is in the kind of the minority view, which is that he voted in favor with the belief that it's just a skeleton, it's just a shell. I like the general idea. It has some real flaws, but the legislature will come in and fix those flaws right after I vote for it. That has not happened. And he's been a little taken aback by that. He's kind of frustrated with all sides, really, because he, he felt like that was what would happen. Now, I believe, I mean, that's anecdotal, it's one yeah. person. I believe that's a minority view. But it was interesting to hear that one, too. I, uh, he has more faith in the legislature than I think a lot, maybe a majority of his uh, fellow Oklahomans do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, it, and there's been this, you, you mentioned the criminal justice reform, you know, state questions. I mean, there's been this tension between voters and the legislature. I mean, going back to 2016 with the, the uh, penny sales tax for teacher pay, I mean, when that got rejected, you know, legislatures were saying, hey, voters are telling us that we need to sit, right. fix this problem. And then, you know, now here's an issue where voters say, no, we've addressed this problem, yeah. you know, just kind of give us what we need to go forward. I mean, if you're an opponent of medical marijuana too, you're probably feeling like, you know, hey, if we don't have a special session and complications arise because we haven't uh, crafted some specific statutes, then maybe we can also lean on the fact to say, hey, we told you this wasn't a good idea. There's a lot of confusion and a lot of controversy here. But you're right, the, the point remains, that this was passed. This was not just passed by voters, but overwhelmingly passed by voters. I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, there can be a mandate for a state question. There's a mandate for medical marijuana uh, to, for the state to get the ball rolling on that, and probably for the legislature to to not impede that process. That's much. right. More than half a million people voted for it. Yeah. So interesting. Medical marijuana passes. Pruitt is coming home. I mean, a big uh, a big time for politics uh, in Oklahoma. We're just getting started. We've got the runoff elections coming up in several weeks. The November election next week. We're going to have the two uh, libertarian candidates who are in the runoff in August uh, here in studio. Uh, we're going to have a forum between the two. We don't get a chance to talk about the libertarian candidates that much, but we'll do that next week. Uh, hear about their their campaigns and also just kind of about the state of the Libertarian Party. Uh, here in Oklahoma, which is small but uh, but growing, especially for voters who are seeking that kind of third-party um, alternative. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Political State with Justin and Dale. I'm Ben with The Oklahoma, and thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next Friday.